You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. If you brought a Bible tonight, uh, open it up to Ephesians chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible tonight, what were you thinking? Uh, This is Harvest Bible Chapel. And uh, no, we're glad you're here. Want to welcome so many guests and family members. How many of you are a family member of somebody that normally attends here, but this is all kind of new to you? Welcome. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, we've got all of the children in with us, and that is just fine. And that's that's just fine, isn't it? Okay, we're going to be fine with that. That's good. And uh, you know what? In a Christmas Eve service, it's really hard to find a place to take the offering, so we're just going to do it right now. And uh, the ushers are here to receive those offerings. This is the last opportunity to give uh, in uh, the Harvest Bible Chapel offering. I've been sharing with you uh, the needs. And uh, men, you can go ahead and begin to pass the offering bags. Thank you so much for your service. And uh, we've been keeping you up to date. We've told you about some special needs, some special opportunities. One of those opportunities is to completely start 2017 debt-free as a church. It was going to take about $122,000 above the uh, budgeted gifts uh, to meet that need. So far, there has been $90,000 given by about 68 different giving units. And so uh, there's a remaining need of about $32,000 just for that. And then there's all kinds of other things that we could do as you give generously. So thank you for those gifts. If you're a guest of Harvest Bible Chapel, we certainly don't expect you to give. This is our gift to you. I want to talk to you just for the next few minutes about the first and the best word of Christmas. The first and the best word of Christmas. You've already sung it dozens of times, and you probably sang it so fast, uh, you probably didn't even notice. We could, we could have some candidates for the first and the best word. We could think uh, uh, maybe angels. That's a good word of Christmas, not the best word. Uh, we could think about virgin birth. That would be a, a good word, but not the best word. I believe the best and first word of Christmas is the word Glory. And the reason we say that is the first word of Christmas is because that is the first word that the angels announced when they gave the birth announcement to those shepherds in the field about the birth of Jesus Christ. We read about it in Luke chapter 2, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so glory is an awesome word. We're going to talk about that here. And I'm just going to kind of give you the first point of the message here. We've got three real quick points. Here it is. Christmas is when the glory comes down. Christmas is when the glory came down. That's what the angels were announcing. Glory is kind of an interesting word. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to define. How many of you um, remember the days when, when you went to church and when it was time for the song service, you grabbed one of these? Does anybody remember? I had to go to a museum to find one of these. Uh, what is this called? A hymnal. How many of you know how to use one of these? That's amazing. And all the people under 30 are like, what is that? Okay. Now, listen, I didn't grow up going to church. And so, with, I mean, I started going to church and, and it was time to sing. And so the, the guy said, stand up and grab your hymnal. So I reached in the pew and I grabbed it. And when I opened it up, I don't know what I was expecting to find, but what I found was artwork. Um, stick figures and uh, snowmen and uh, all kinds of squiggly things that I didn't understand because I d- 
didn't have any kind of music background whatsoever. How many of you have absolutely no music background whatsoever? You never played anything. You never, you, you never sang on key in time in your life. By the way, that does not prevent you from singing loudly here, okay? You'll fit right in. Uh, the, the measure of quality around here for music is not beauty, it is volume, okay? So you'll fit right in around here. Well, I remember, I, I remember opening this hymnal and seeing all these things that I didn't really understand, and then I would always get lost. Um, there's a very famous Christmas carol um, called Angels We Have Heard on High. Some of you just, your heart just leapt because you think that's the way we ought to display the lyrics every time we sing around here. Um, now, I, I don't really understand what all's going on there except the, the English language in between the bars. But then, nobody explained to me that when you get to the end of the stanza, you don't start over right there. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing, or the plain shepherds, why this jubilee? I would get so lost because everybody else would go down to the next line. I'm like, oh, and so I, I would get a little lost there. And then this particular song is, is very interesting. It seems kind of simple until you get to the chorus. And when you get to the chorus, you see this. Oh, my goodness. What am I supposed to do with that? They take this two-syllable word and they make it a 17-syllable, multisyllabic word. Now, the word is based on the first and the best word of Christmas, the word glory. They, they strung it in, Gloria. And then, just about the time you think you get it, they put Latin in the hymn, and we have to sing something called In Excelsis Deo. I, for a while, I was wondering, who is the girl in the youth group named Chelsea? I would like to meet her. I don't, and why are we saying the ch sound when there's just a C. I didn't understand what was going on. How many of you had the same experience that I had in church? I'm like, what is it? So anyway, the, the, more, the, more, the more I got involved in church, the more I under, understood the message of Christmas and the glory that it's talking about here, the, the more I understood why the hymn writer made a two-syllable word into that. Because glory deserves something like that. Do you understand the word glory? Say, no, I do not understand the word glory. I don't either. But let me, let me do the best that I can to try to explain. We see the word glory all over the Bible. The, the Bible is a story of glory. And the Christmas story begins with the word glory. We've been studying the book of Ephesians. Paul opens up that book with three references to glory, and we're going to find out that he closes out the first half of this, this incredible book with three other references to glory. We're about to read those, but trying to define the word glory is more like trying to define the word beauty rather than basketball. Could you define and describe the word basketball to someone that had never seen a basketball? You could. It's, it's about this big, and it's orange with black stripes, and somebody wrote Spalding across it, and, and it bounces, and we use it to play a game. You could describe that. But how well would you do describing the word beauty? Now, if you're married, you'd probably just want to say, may I show you my wife? That would probably be the best definition for a, for a guy right there. But just trying to describe the word glory, in the, 
in the Hebrew language, the first part of the Bible was written in the Hebrew language and the word was kabod. We get over into the New Testament and it was written in the, the English language. I have my son who is studying Greek and it, my research assistant now, my Greek scholar in my family, I turned to him yesterday and I said, Zach, what is the Greek word for glory? Without hesitation, he said doxa. I said, like doxology? Yes. The word doxa means to be weighty. There's a heaviness to the glory of God. It means to be completely delighted with. It's the object of desire. And it's a display of the excellencies of whoever it is that you're speaking to has glory. Let me ask you this. Do you have any glory? You, you, you do. You really do have, you do have glory. Do you know what glory is? Glory is your best thing. What is your best thing? What is it that you do or are better than everybody else in your family? That's your glory. Some of you make figgy pudding better than anybody else in your family. Some of you eat figgy pudding better than anybody else in your family. And it is a glorious thing when a wife that makes figgy pudding serves it to a man who eats figgy pudding and it's her best thing and his best thing, the glory comes down. And whatever your best thing is, is your glory. So what would you say that God's best thing is? You know what it is? It's himself. And God's glory comes down whenever he chooses to put himself on display. And the night that Jesus came into this world, he came as a, as a display of the glory of God. As a matter of fact, the scripture even tells us over in John chapter one that at that time we got to see the glory of God. First, or in John chapter one, verse 14, the word, speaking of Jesus, it's a title of Jesus, that's why it's capitalized. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. It was a glory as an only son from the father full of grace and truth until Jesus came, until Christmas. God's glory was veiled. Until Christmas came, there was a sense in which we couldn't accurately see the glory of God. And so God came in the person of Jesus as a display of his glory. I want you to see it in the book of Ephesians. We've been marking, marching our way through it. And did you know that the last uh, time I was in uh, here at Harvest and the last time I was preaching a message, the very last word that I preached was the word glory. Look at it here in Ephesians 3 in verse 13. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm saying, over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. See, you do have some glory. It's your best thing on display. And when you suffer well, that is a display of glory. And then he goes into verse 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Do you know the only appropriate response 
to an encounter with God's glory is to get as low as you can as fast as you can because you are seeing something so glorious, so weighty, so breathtaking. The apostle Paul says when he saw the glory of God in the way that it was being displayed through the Ephesian believers, he said it was such a glorious thing, he had to bow on his knee, he couldn't stand upright. And you'll see that throughout the scripture, every time somebody encountered the glory of God, they got as low as they could, as fast as they could. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever had that kind of encounter with God's glory? Has the glory of Christmas ever gripped you to the point it brought you to your knees in worship and adoration and surrender? That's what Paul is saying. It brought him to his knees. And then over in verse 15, he goes on and says, from whom, speaking of God, this God of glory, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And so it was God's glory, from the riches of God's glory, that he supplies two things, strength and power. Do you understand that Christmas is only glorious to people who are weak and powerless? The reason why Christmas doesn't seem glorious to you Maybe because you're too strong and you're too powerful and your estimation of yourself is, I can handle it on my own. I don't need some story about a little baby coming in a major, growing up, dying on a cross. I don't need all that. That's for children and Girl Scouts. And that's why Christmas doesn't seem very glorious to you. When you let the weightiness of how powerless and weak you are that's when the glory of Christmas takes hold of your heart. And listen, whenever you get to the point where you can admit, I am weak and powerless, that's the point at which you'll discover God from the riches of his glory can supply every need you have for strength and power, all from the riches of his glory. Christmas is when the glory comes down. Here's the second thing. Christmas is when the glory gets in. Notice it here in verse 16. According to his riches of his glory, that he may grant you strength and power through his spirit. But notice he says, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. God wants the story of Christmas not to remain in Bethlehem. God wants the story of Christmas not to remain at the church. God wants the glory to get inside of you. He wants to dwell in your inner being. He's not content with the glory remaining in your head that you could define it and describe it and tell about it. He wants it residing in you so much that it becomes a part of who you are in your inner being. The word dwells a, a great Christmas word. That might be the second 
greatest Christmas word, to dwell. We've already sung the name Emmanuel. Do you notice how many times we sang that? It, is, it simply means that God is with us. But God doesn't just want to be with us. He wants to live in us. He wants to move in and make our hearts his home. You remember the innkeeper in the Christmas story? He gets a bad rap. Because we think of like the inn being like Holiday Inn or the Hampton Inn. You, you understand that was not what it was like, right? I mean, the, the innkeeper, we kind of get down on him because he couldn't find any room for Jesus in his inn. But he did find room for him in a place, the manger, the, the barn basically. Jesus was born in a barn. And so he did make room for him. Jesus didn't just come to dwell in a broken world. Jesus came to dwell in broken hearts. He wants to move in. He wants to renovate that heart. He wants to dwell not as a tenant, but as a landlord. He wants to take over. And the reason why Christ is not dwelling in many of our hearts is because We've cluttered up our hearts with so many things, there's no more room on our schedule, in our family, in our home, because we've cluttered it up with so many other things. The glory of God wants to take resident control in your life. You're, you're a fixer-upper, and he wants to move in and do all kinds of renovations. And do you know what happens? when you allow Christ to dwell in your heart through faith? 2 Corinthians actually tells us what happens. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. How does the glory get in and what does it do? Notice this. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Do you know how God changes our lives? We focus so much on his glory that it begins to transform the way we think, the way we act, the way we live. By beholding, we are becoming part of the display of God's glory. God wants to make you glorious because you are his dwelling place and he's worthy of a glorious dwelling place inside your heart. So how does all that happen? It, two words here in verse 17, he tells us that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Do you believe it? I mean, come on. You really believe that there is a God Believe it, believe it. He's out there other than us. And yet he loved us so much. He left where he was, a glorious place and came to a place like Bethlehem, a very inglorious place. And that baby didn't stay a baby. He lived a perfect life, the life you could never live. And he died a perfect death, the death that you should have died and in that process, God counted your sins on Christ so that he could count Christ's glory on you. 
That's the story. Do you believe it? The only way the glory becomes glorious is through faith in believing that what God has done in Christ is for me. And you wrap your life around that and you give your life to the one who is the most glorious. Christmas is the time the glory comes down. Christmas is the time the glory gets in. There's one more thing. Christmas is the time the glory goes up. If you haven't been around Harvest very long, you probably wondered, what just happened up here for those 30 minutes? I mean, these people seem pretty excited about stuff. Well, we're excited about the glory. As a matter of fact, the very first message I ever preached on the launch Sunday in 2009, when we launched our church, was a message based on the next two verses I'm about to read. Look here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. My Greek scholar told me, the Greek says, eternally eternal. Whoa, that's glorious. God wants there to be glory not only coming down and getting in, he wants it coming up forever throughout all generations. And notice it happens through the church. The, the assembled body of those who believe in the glory of Christmas. Verse 20 says, now to him who is able. Can I ask you a question? Is there anything God's not able to do? Do you still believe, I mean really, do you believe God is able to reconcile your marriage? Do you believe that God is able to turn your despair into joy? Do you believe God is able to protect you and to provide for you in every need? Do you believe that God is able to rescue the heart of that prodigal child that you pray for and you ask over and over and over again that God would get a hold of that person's life? Do you believe God is able? God is still able. And through faith, that's when we see the glory. When we believe against all odds, despite what we're seeing physically going on, that through faith, God is still able to invade the world of people who are needy and lost. That's the glory of Christmas. And when God does those things, we see his glory. Now unto him who is able, not just able, but he goes on and says, he is able to do far more abundantly. It would have been one thing if he said God's able to do abundantly, but he said far more abundantly, far more abundantly than you could ask or even imagine. I mean, that is glorious. Christmas is a time for asking, right? How many of you had some children that asked for a few things and they're wrapped up under the tree or maybe they're still at the mall because you couldn't afford them, but they ask, right? It's okay to ask at Christmas. And as a matter of fact, you've probably even gone to someone that you've loved during this Christmas season and you have said this. What do you want for Christmas? 
How many of you have asked somebody like that? You've asked somebody that question? What do you want for Christmas? Can I ask you this? What do you want God to do for you this Christmas that is glorious? If you got everything you ask God for, would you just be richer and have an easier life? Or would you see glorious changes taking place in your heart? Glorious displays of God's strength and power in your family. Glorious displays of God's goodness to our world, forgiving and redeeming and changing and pushing back the tide of evil and darkness and sin. If you got what you asked for, would it be glorious? Do you know what God's saying to you? What do you want? What do you want for Christmas? Come to me and ask. I am able to do it. I'm not only able to do that, I'm able to do far more abundantly than that that you would ask or even thought about. And when God does answer a prayer, what's the automatic response of our hearts? To give him glory. And what's the response when God delays the answer? We give him glory, knowing that his wisdom is far superior to our own. And so God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. And when he does it, we give him glory. And I know it's hard to talk about the glory when some of you are carrying such heavy burdens. We said earlier that the word glory means heavy. And yet if the truth was known, some of you are carrying such heavy burdens. It's really hard for you to sing it's really hard for you to pray. It's really hard for you to be in a service like this because of the heaviness that you carried in here. Listen, when the weight of God's glory exceeds the weight of your burden, that's when glory becomes a verb. Everything we've talked about tonight has been talking about glory as a noun, the glory of God. And yet glory becomes an interjection and a verb when God meets me at the point of my need. Can I ask you, what is so heavy in your heart? Would you bring that to God tonight? It could be the, the distance in your marriage. It could be the pain, the heartache the way that somebody's treated you. It could be the shame of sin in your past. It, it could be just simply looking at the darkness of this world. Somebody I, I heard this morning said 2016 will go down as the worst year ever. And that may be you. In our Harvest family of worship leaders and songwriters, we've got a special couple. Their names are John and Valerie Guerra. And uh, John just has a special way of putting words on paper and singing those words in a way that just draws you in. I want to ask you right now to feel the weight of whatever burden you brought in here tonight. And my prayer is that as we listen to John and Valerie sing this song, that you in that moment will feel the weight of God's glory that exceeds the weight of your burden.